Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And happy Tuesday, everybody. We are back with another incredible episode from one of my favorite outlets, um, Bloomberg News. We have their global head of media marketing tech, Chris Marino, who is here to talk about all things first party data, what marketing technology is, how it can help with your customer experience. We just break down all the cool stuff that Bloomberg's up to also because you all, they do everything from my field, tech, to news to tv they're everywhere like i love them they do everything and they do so much so chris is here and he's going to break it all down of what they're up to and how the different technologies and practices they use can help you in your own business so if you like news if you like marketing if you like technology or you just want to hang out to kick off your tuesday this episode for you so grab a seat grab a notepad because we're about to break it all down for you right now and Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Colin. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Everybody, it's Halloween weekend. We're keeping it spooky. It's not Halloween right now when you're listening, but it is now. So I hope you all have a good <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> um, but Chris, before we get into all the cool stuff that you're up to, um, we always like to do the question here of what the term young influential means to you. Well, first and foremost, Colin, I just want to thank you for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. I am a big fan of, of all the work that you're doing and, and paving the way for the, the young marketers and the marketing community. So thank you. Um, when I think about young influentials, what it, what it means to me is I think there has historically been this stigma that you have to be of a certain age to drive influence. And I think we're really flipping that on its head, right? Where we're at a point in time where if you have the right passion, if you build the right set of skills, you can make waves and have influence regardless of your age. You look at some of the CEOs of tech companies or CEOs of companies across the globe and um, young people are doing real things. And so I would really like to think to me, this means don't let age be a barrier and define what you can or cannot do. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, you can, start a business at 13 or 83 like it doesn't matter like you can be learning something every day and I feel like that's the way to do life like never stop learning never stop feeling like oh I did this so you know we're done no like you can start over at any time and do it at any age absolutely couldn't agree more and alrighty, so now we're gonna pivot we're going back in time 
tell us that like how marketing influenced you like growing up like were you really big into like commercials and like to those or like how did that play its part Absolutely. I would say I started talking at a really young age and my mom says to me, uh, I never stopped once I started (laughs) a running joke in the family. (laughs) I'm definitely an extrovert. Um, But when, when I think about it, communication and the power of communication has been something that's always been really important to me. And I grew up in the 90s and there were a couple of ads that kind of spoke to me um, and really speak to the diversity of what marketing can do. One of my favorite ads of all time in the 90s was uh, Michael Jordan's Failure ad where he talks about all the moments in his career where he failed and that made him who he is today. And I think that's a really powerful message for um, a young person growing up um, as a source of inspiration that you can fail and it's a a safe space to do that. On the other end of the spectrum, you have ads that I really liked in the 90s and in 1990, uh, Budweiser's What's Up ad. Um, And I think, you know, when when I think about those two things, Um, And then comparing them is marketing can do so many different things. It can inspire you. It can give you a form of levity. Um, And there's so much power to a brand and conveying a message. And I I think for me, I always wanted to be a part of using marketing as a a force for positive change. And I found marketing to be a vehicle to do that um, and do that at scale in a really impactful way. Come on. No, like, I feel like, the 90s, speaking of the 90s, like, had some of the greatest ads. Like, when you said that, uh, I immediately thought of, uh, I, I'm sure you remember, it's almost like all the music, like the slow jams where it's like, because I'm your lady. It's like, <laughs> the night. like, you know these songs, like, and it would play at like two and three. <laughs> You'd be like napping on the couch and you hear like Celine come belting in and then Michael Bolton. Like, gosh, I remember that one. And then um, I'm trying to think, all the like push pop ones, like, I feel like, all those made me want like a push pot really badly. Um, let me see. The Nextel ad, I feel like. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and then like all the different, like, uh, not PDF, like the PDA, like the Palm Pilot ads. Like, I don't know, like those made me feel really like, dang, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I can get a Palm Pilot and Absolutely. have all my meetings on there. And now I'm like, gosh, all the meeting alerts, like get rid of them. <laughs> 90s, a great era for marketing uh, and a great era for music. Uh, honestly, uh, honestly, like we could go down the music market. That, that's like a whole <laughs> rabbit trail. But was marketing like when you got older, like was marketing something that you studied in school or like how did you keep the kind of that like passion going? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, to some extent, I've always known I wanted to be a marketer and in college, I had a dual major. I went to Syracuse University. I majored in management and I actually majored in marketing. And um, for me, in college, marketing is, is so broad, right? And one of the things that I wanted to do as I went from academia to actually working in a role in marketing was to have the opportunity to work in a variety of different marketing disciplines to really understand like which aspect of marketing really spoke to me. Um, so I think that was, you know, the academia piece of it. I also, you know, at a later point in my career, went to business school um, at Cornell and I, I did their executive MBA program and I focused on general management. So always knew I wanted to be a marketer. Um, I think I've been on this journey to figure out what type of marketer did I want to be. And I feel like that's like, that's always the tough part because like marketing, as you know, like 
constantly changes, even like within a year. Like I remember when I studied communications and like seeing how like kind of the whole like mass common, like uh, we started to see like the social media marketing thing start to evolve. Like it's constantly changing. So when you're trying to like say look for internships or look for entry ways to kind of get that experience, it's like, okay, wait, where do I go? Like which direction is it going in? It's always kind of hard to like figure out like, should I just study or should I do an internship over here to kind of get it? Cause I feel like business and all that's always changing. So a lot of times when people are like, I need to find an entry level, whatever. It's always confusing. Cause like marketing is always shifting. Did you, did you find that challenging whenever you were like trying to get your entry point into like the marketing space, like to figure out like which role to like apply for? Yeah. You know, I, I was very fortunate to start my career at American express And American Express is one of the most customer-centric companies that I've ever worked at. And because of that, I'll be a card member for life. I would also say American Express is one of the best marketing companies, in my opinion. And American Express is the type of company that gives you the opportunity to rotate roles every 18 to 24 months. So you you really can diversify your experience and figure out what is it that you're most passionate about and build on skill sets as you go through that journey. And so my first marketing role at American Express was um, a value proposition and awareness role where I was focused on helping the company to identify what were the differentiated value drivers for our business and how did we communicate those value drivers to prospective clients and existing clients in terms of how we communicate that value. Really great skill set in terms of figuring out what are the things that really drive customer value and how do you succinctly articulate that value in a way that anyone understand. I then moved into a marketing analytics role where I had the opportunity to work with complex data and use that data to identify insights that could help to inform business decisions, right? Really valuable skill set from a marketing perspective. Uh, I think marketing is becoming more data-driven, but more insights-driven than it ever has. And so I feel like we're at this really pivotal point. So super valuable skill set. I then moved into sort of a, a chief of staff role, right, where I had the opportunity to work for the global CMO of our B2B division, um, and I was leading strategy and operations for a team of 200 people globally, and I got to be a part of this really amazing transformation of rethinking marketing from a driver of scaled enablement, so sales enablement, to a driver of bottom line revenue. And it was amazing to be on that journey. And in fact, you know, working for my, my boss at the time, a woman named Barbara Bagolia, she was, she was one of the most inspirational leaders I've ever had the chance to work for. And in many ways, she shaped me into the marketer and the leader that I am today. And when I was looking for my next role, she really encouraged me to go into digital Right. And she, you know, kind of encouraged me to take on this role of leading social media globally for American Express for B2B. I was a little nervous, right? Because I had, I barely even had social media at that time. I wasn't on Instagram. I wasn't on Twitter. And I felt like I wasn't actually qualified to do that job. But she was very encouraging in the sense that she, was clear that the future was digital, um, but she was also like, you can help solve a problem, right? Which is right now, social media isn't actually connected to the business. And so as a result, it's not driving business value. You know business, you know the business very well. And if you can connect social 
with driving impact for the business, that's a home run. And so I took a leap of faith and, um, you know, spent time learning from my team, learning from the industry and really finding a passion point. What was exciting for me was I actually went from not knowing social at all to having the opportunity to headline speak at Social Media Week about a transformation that that I had led um, with my team on behalf of the company to modernize our, our social presence and go to market in a way that wasn't focused on businesses right? But focused on people and how did we humanize what we were doing to connect with business owners as business people um, in a really fresh and different way. And after that point, I, I went into performance marketing, right? Which was kind of the convergence of all of these things that I had previously done where messaging, analytics, digital strategy, they kind of all came together on one function where you can use marketing as a bottom line driver of business value. And for me, that was that was sort of a home run, right? And, and I, I've never looked back on digital after going in that direction because it was a game changer for me. And, you know, I think my, my advice to folks would be diversify your experience and, and take leaps of faith, right? Because when you find those opportunities, each opportunity helps you to understand what you like and what you don't like, right? And through each experience, you can also start to figure out where do you want to go um, and how do you use that experience to build on something? And I feel like that's so true. Like I always tell people, I'm like, whatever role that you're in, whenever you're starting out in your industry, like those skills and stuff are vital and are transferable as you go throughout your career. Like I like I remember when I started off in retail, like those skills that I use there, like you mentioned, like customer experience, customer, whatever, like that's something I maintain and to this day still use whenever I'm interviewing people or talking to people or reporting because it's like you have to connect with people and really find that connection point. And like you mentioned, like how marketing has so many different areas and so many different ways and stuff, how it can be used and applied, like it involves data, it involves uh people and all that stuff. I feel like it's so key for also people to know where don't get so kind of like horse blinders where you're like, oh, marketing's only this or it's only that. Like how you said you're open to like social and like learning more. And I feel like that's the key, like as beyond marketing, but any industry, like you can't just get stuck and be like, I don't really know what that is. And I don't really use that or really understand like why that's being used. Like that's how I view whenever marketers are talking about like, we're in the metaverse now. I'm like, bro, I don't even have real blogs. Like, well, like that doesn't make any sense to me, but I feel like your lesson through that's so key where it's like, you can't just be like, Oh, I don't use it. I don't know. And just like, forget it. Like it's going to be part of the ecosystem. So it's so important to just constantly be learning and like adapting and figuring out like, okay, how can I use this? Or how does this apply to me? Or what are these other marketers? What are these other people seeing that I'm not? And like kind of taking that time like you did to figure out like what it actually is. Without a doubt. I think it's, it's a skills-based economy and, um, you know, I think also the, the big opportunity for marketers and I think, you know, is sometimes forgotten is really deeply understand the business strategy, deeply understand your customer or your audience, because when you can connect marketing to driving the business, right, I think that's the real unlock and the real opportunity, because a lot of times people look at marketing in a silo. And I think it's, it's actually critical to understand those found data foundation and help amplify that foundation through the work that you're doing to drive that impact at scale. No, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And kind of to also go into more about marketing, can you kind of explain like what your day-to-day, -day, like your role, your day-to-day -day, and kind of like what Bloomberg Media does for those who aren't as like familiar with it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, in my current role, I'm the global head of performance, marketing, and media at Bloomberg Media. And my team is essentially responsible for, um, you know, investing a multi-million dollar budget with the goal of driving high quality audience to engage with our brand, right? Uh, Driving consideration for our suite of subscriptions products and ultimately driving revenue, right? Um, What Bloomberg Media is focused on and, and what attracted me to Bloomberg is, you know, Bloomberg is a company that is committed to unbiased data-driven journalism. It's a 40-year-old company, uh, really storied history. And what Bloomberg Media specifically is focused on is we've got 2,700 journalists across the globe, um, and we're focused on delivering that unbiased data-driven journalism to consumers, to business owners, where they're spending time. And from a monetization standpoint, um, our core businesses are our advertising business, our consumer subscriptions business, where I sit, and then our events business. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. And what something that you reminded me of is just like how you'd like that is true that you guys do such a good job at journalism and that in touch point. But now that we're like getting into the cookie list future, like how do you guys really kind of hone in and bring in that like first party data to like really connect with the audience and really kind of get them the stuff to reflect it and build that trust. Cause I know like I'm a huge Bloomberg person. I, I'm like, ah, they want anything like whatever. Like if you guys want to know what I listened to Spotify last week, should take it. Like if you feel like it'll help, like how do you guys really garner that like first person like relationship and really build that trust? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because over the past few years, the industry has gone through such an intense period of regulatory change uh, from GDPR to CCPA to, you know, some of the new policies such as CPRA that are coming in place um, this year and in the future. And what that has really resulted in, in my mind, is we are at a point where customer trust is at an all-time low, right? You know, 69% of consumers say that they'll actually stop buying if a company uses data without their permission. And a lot of marketers, I think, talk about this shift from third-party cookies to first-party data as the the cookie apocalypse, right? (laughs) Um, I actually think this is really good for business. Um, From my perspective, Bloomberg is a brand that is focused on putting our audience at the 
the center of everything that we do. And we are building sort of a consent first system, right, where we're very clear about what type of information you are giving Bloomberg access to and how we will actually use that information. And our our goal is anything we collect, if it cannot deliver you value, it's not something that we would use, right? So I think principally our, our focus is how do we put our audience at the center of everything that we do as we think about designing our experience. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of tangible examples of how we're, we're thinking about that. Um, like many publishers, right, historically, you may have come to our website and after a certain number of articles, you hit a paywall. Um we have changed our model. So when instead of hitting a paywall, right, after consuming a certain number of articles, we're actually having you hit a registration wall, right, where as a result of giving you giving us your first party data, right, like we are actually giving you access to a certain number of articles for free to help you see the value of the product before you are put in this position where you need to buy a product, right? And I think, you know, we're kind of leaning into this, this mantra of audience first. We want our audience to, to date us before they marry us, right? <laughs> um, I, I think the other piece of this outside of, of the registration wall is, you know, my team has really been focused on thinking about how do we scale um, helping consumers to understand our, our newsletters, right? From a newsletter perspective, we've got a number of newsletters um, that consumers could subscribe to, those newsletters are all free, right? If you sign up for a newsletter, um, it's much, it, you are much less likely to be price sensitive because you already see the value of the journalism, right? You have access to that journalism for free. And over time, um, you're much more likely to become a subscriber once you sign up for a newsletter. Um, and you're much more likely to actually stay with us after a certain period of time once you sign up for a newsletter, right? And so a lot of the, this first party data focus is, um, in my mind, really designed to be audience first. And the goal is to deliver a really clear value exchange to our consumer. And once we have that data, find ways to personalize your experience based on your consumption, where we know you're spending your time, right? Like, I, I think that is the core of this. And um, for me, I think the, the best brands will rise out of this um, better than they started because they will, you know, when you create this value-based exchange with your audience and you focus on delivering that, you put that at the core of everything that you do, I, I deeply believe that that drives stronger performance from a business perspective. And I, I couldn't agree more like the point about the newsletters. Like when you said that, I'm, I was thinking of like so many that I subscribe to. And at first I was like, mm, like, I don't know, like I'll try giving them. But I've seen like the value in it where like I get recommendations like every Friday where it's like, oh, if you have time, like these are shows you stream or these are books you should read. And I'm like now seeing like, OK, it's not just like useless stuff. Like they're actually giving me stuff that like serves like to my liking. And this looks like they're like being like, okay, we see that he's really into movies and books, so let's just make sure we push those types of newsletters more. And then uh, it also he reminded me about like how we're now seeing people do more SMS SMS test um, like testing with that. And so like one that I'm really big on is I'm on like all of Sephora and Fenty skincare's like text one, so they'll like send me anytime they have like a sale on like certain skincare products. I'm like, okay, so like 
I can trust on my phone number. They're not going to just like send me a random blast. And it's like, I now know that if I get a text from like them, Vans or somebody like that, it actually serves a purpose for me. That's not just like a random sale on like, I don't know, like sweaters for a goat. Like it's actually products and things that I use. And I feel like that's something that I'm really liking to see, like you touched on, like we're now seeing uh, brands and companies like trusting people's data where if they are going to like follow up and get that data from the person, they're only going to serve them with stuff that actually makes sense and like cater to them versus just like how in the past, maybe 10 years ago, there was just like the general blast where it's like Macy's one day sale. Like you guys have a sale every week. Like how does that really help me? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think it, you know, it, it creates for more of a relationship than a transactional touch point. And I think, you know, we as consumers, that's that's what we're really looking for, right? You know, we want a, a brand to know us. We want a brand to know what's important to us. Um, and as a result, like that, that creates a longer term relationship. And I think that's good for business because, you know, by going after the audiences that see the value in your product, um, those are the audiences that are going to be brand loyal for, for life. Right. And we want to create these lifetime relationships, not these transactional relationships. Yeah. And I feel like we're now seeing the technology change more and more. And I feel like a lot of, like a lot of consumers and brands are trying to figure out like, okay, as a consumer, like how do they talk to me as a Gen Z person or me as a millennial or me as like a um, older millennial with kids now, like, are you guys seeing like, different marketing tech that you feel is like helpful for reaching younger audiences. Cause I feel like that's like a whole nother like Roman conversation, like how to maintain reaching like younger and younger consumers. So we're starting to have that like spending power and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say in addition to, you know, making significant investments in first party data, Bloomberg Media has also been committed to making investments in marketing technology. And I would say my team is actually sort of driving the agenda for um, how we build a modern tech stack that enables us to future proof our business, but to deliver more seamless, more impactful customer experiences through that technology, right? Um, You know, it's one thing to have the data. It's another thing to be able to deploy that data at scale in a way that delivers value for that user. And so, um, you know, a few technologies that are are top of mind for for me, um, and I think that are top of mind for the industry, you know, the first is customer data platforms, right? So really starting to think about um, vehicles that enable you to create a centralized single view of the consumer with the goal of creating a consistent omni-channel experience wherever it is that that consumer is spending time. Because consumers don't see brand. Consumers don't see channels, right? Which is a lot of mark how marketers think. Consumers see brands. And we want to show up in a consistent and cohesive way wherever that consumer is spending time. So I think that is that is a technology that is at the forefront of, of what we're thinking about. The second technology that's the top of mind for me or technologies called marketing mixed modeling. And, you know, when I think about those technologies, a lot of how marketing has been measured historically is on last click, last touch attribution. And what that basically basically means is um, if you were to see an ad and you were to convert directly within that session, right, that ad would get all of the credit for playing a role in converting you. But if you were to see an ad 
and then tomorrow go back and go to your website and type in Bloomberg.com, um, that ad would actually not get any credit for influencing you on your journey to make a purchase. And so what I think that's resulted in is very short-term thinking um, as it relates to how you spend your marketing dollars. And what marketing mix modeling enables you to do is it enables you to take a more statistically driven approach to how you invest over longer periods of time that help to show the importance of investing in things like brand, um, investing in things like product consideration that actually fuel your marketing funnel. Um, and the third technology that that's also sort of top of mind are, are mobile measurement partners. And so you start to look at the the amount of time that consumers are spending on their, their mobile devices, on their app. Um, but the challenges that iOS 14 has resulted in as it relates to how do we actually reach those market those users in measurable ways that enable you to help your marketing get smarter, right? Um, that's another technology that I'm really sort of bullish on. Um, uh, when I also think about it, so much of this is thinking about how do you get really smart about showing up in a native way based on the platform that you are actually activating on. Um, each platform has different best practices, different ways that consumers want to engage with the brand. And so I think leaning into those best practices and having a diverse approach in terms of activating on your creative, right? Um, to let the algorithm do the work for you is so important. And so, you know, those are a couple of things that are that are top of mind for me that I think are helping us get much smarter about how we reach the right consumer um, in the right channel at the right time with a message that actually is going to help get them to see the value and take an action. Yeah. And I feel like you told, you brought up a good point, like how to be show up on those platforms, like natively in a way that makes sense, because I feel like in the past we used to just like say, make a social graphic and just like copy and paste it on like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. And it's like, nowadays it's like how you talk to people on LinkedIn. It's not the same that you talk to people on like TikTok. So if you're working on a campaign or any type of marketing, you have to take that into account where it's like, okay, this group over here is like younger, it's more playful, it's fun. So the messaging over here might have to be X, Y, and Z. And instead of just a plain static graphic, it might need to be like a social video or whatever, or a social display that's like a little bit more fun and uses a lot of colors. And I feel like that's something that we need to always keep in the front of our mind where it's like, okay, like where are we talking? Where's our audience? And then like what platform are we using? Because all that plays a key role into how you're going to be talking and messaging and how the marketing of that's going to end up coming out of fruition period at the end. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like, and then for like my, for my um, last question, for those who are like, Chris, cool. You got this cool job, but like, I don't have any marketing experience. I don't even know where to begin with this. Like what advice do you have for them? Who are those who are listening, who are interested in doing a career in marketing, but say aren't doing it now or don't really have like, the background experience or had the internships or whatnot to enter it? Yeah, I would say everyone starts in that same place in their career. And my advice to this audience would be, uh, you know, there's a quote by Wayne Gretzky and he says, you, you miss 99% of the shots that you don't take, right? Um, and my advice 
it would be to shoot your shot. And I think about when I first started um, and I applied for my first internship, right? And, you know, at the time I was working as a doorman on 770 Park Avenue. Neither one of my parents went to college or, or worked in a, a corporate environment, right? And I was thinking about ways to break into corporate America. And I, I thought back to a time when I was in high school and um, there was a, a speaker who talked about, he actually grew up in my neighborhood, right? And he talked about climbing the corporate ladder. Now, uh, you know, his name was, was Steve Squirry. Um, and at the time, he was the chief information officer at American Express. And so that, that speech had really stuck out to me. And I um, was committed to finding a way to reach out and connect with him. So I used my high school alumni networking database, which I'm not sure if he knew even existed. Um, <laughs> and I actually sent him an email to his AOL AOL email address, uh, you know, telling him how inspired I was by the speech um, and how passionate I would be about working and learning at a company like American Express. I didn't expect him to, to respond. Sure enough, two weeks later, he, he sent me an email apologizing for the delay because um, he had been traveling and giving me the opportunity to actually come and meet him in person and uh, met him in person. I remember going to American Express and, and essentially um, it was my first time in a corporate office and I went all the way up to the 51st floor of the building, which is the executive floor. And uh, a part of me in my mind was like, who on earth did I just reach out to? Because this is not what I was expecting. And got there and had this, you know, amazing conversation. And that conversation ended up resulting in getting an interview, even though I kind of interviewed with him, right, but but went through the formal interview process formally after that. And I joined American Express that summer as a summer intern, right? Um, Steve Squirry is actually now the chairman and, and CEO of American Express. And I was actually able to foster that relationship for the nine years that I was there. And so, you know, I think about the start to your career and um, shoot your shot. You know, had I not sent that email, I, I may not be where I am today. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, you like, there's nothing to lose from like sending that DM or sending that tweet. Like I remember when I started, like so many of like the different editors and stuff would put their like emails in their like tweet Twitter bios. And so I would be like, Oh, okay. And most of the time, like, they would eventually respond like, yeah, it was like a lot of times like how your experience where it's like a long time of delay, but nine times out of 10, pretty much of them got back. And I feel like also people overlook like reaching out to the coordinators and the, um, those type of people too, because those are people that kind of schedule and get the interviews for like whoever they work for. So I feel like lots of people are like, oh, I'm not going to message her. She's just a program coordinator. She's just the EA or he's only the person that he's just an intern. Like we, those people are First of all, they have a leg up because they're where you want to be. So, like, put your ego to the side. So, I always tell people, I'm like, don't get too caught up in, like, who you're emailing. Like, reach out. Just because they're not the EA, the executive VP or the whatever, whatever, doesn't mean, like, you shouldn't email them. Like, reach out. Like like you said, like, and every, th every shot you don't shake is, like, a no. So, like, just try it and then, like, keep going. Like, you can't just... Be like, oh, they're not going to respond. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, just treat everyone as the same. You know, I think about like whether you are, you know, the executive assistant or the CEO, I, I wouldn't change my approach to how I speak to or treat that person. Right. Um, and you never know who can, who can unlock a door for you. Uh, I think um, a lot of times those executive assistants are, are gatekeepers and they hold a lot more power than you may ever, ever think. Yeah, I swear about that. I, I think all... 
um, executive assistant and um, also the people that work the door, the doorman and maintenance. I feel like they have the keys to whatever. So I always tell people treat everybody with respect, but especially them because they hold the powers to to all of that. I stand by that theory. <laughs> but Chris, but Chris, thank you so much for being here, giving us all the all these gems, all the knowledge that you've blessed us with. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Wow, how great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.